so the teaching of my, my text this morning, my, the title of my sermon is Learning of Jesus. And the text comes from Matthew's chapter 11. And I'm going to read from the Amplified Classic for this translation. So chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and are overburdened, and I will cause you to rest. I will ease and relieve and refresh your souls. And verse 29, take my yoke upon you. And learn of me, for I am gentle, meek, and humble, lowly in heart. And you will find rest, relief, and ease, and refreshment, and recreation, and blessed quiet for your souls. For my yoke is easy, or my yoke is wholesome, which means useful, good, not harsh, hard, sharp, or pressing, but comfortable, gracious, and pleasant. And my burden is light and easy to be borne. So as we, I want to demonstrate in some illustrations that I'm going to give in some texts, some scriptures, that what Jesus is talking about learning of me. And it's not easy. Leah said, how could you say something that Jesus says is easy, that it's hard? I said, because for us, it's hard and it's okay because there's lots of examples in the scriptures where the disciples will tell you that they were going through much afflictions, but in all of that, they rejoiced. And it became easy because of the things that we must keep in mind. Okay, so we will discuss what it means to take Jesus's yoke, the rest that comes from learning of him, and the response that it creates in and through us towards every life situation and every relationship that we have. God wants us to be triumphant. So his yoke. So I've got this definition from Easton's Bible Dictionary, and it defines a yoke as something that is fitted on the neck of an oxen, for the purpose of binding to them the traces by which they might draw the plow, etc. So it's carrying a, a, a yoke is something that's placed on the, the shoulders of two ox or two oxen, and then they it's like a harness, and then they attach a weight to it. Okay, so it's a curved piece of wood called an owl. Oh, there, they've got a picture of it right there. Thanks, guys, it worked. So you see that? So I, I see there's one ox and there's two, and that harness is what the yoke is. So I just want you to keep that in mind. Another way to describe this would be that a yoke is a piece of equipment used on horses, oxen, a beast of burden um, to lighten this load for the whole. So when we talk about a yoke, we are talking about something that is in this position of servitude, or one word that we really don't like is submission, something that is in submission. And it is required to take care of the task. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, those who are not righteous? And what communion has light to do with darkness? Galatians 5, verse 1 teaches us that stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not become entangled again with a yoke of bondage. So yoke of bondage, don't be unequally yoked. Message paraphrase, I love how it, re it renders Galatians 5.1. Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery around you. I love this scripture in the Old Testament, Isaiah 58, verse 6 in the Amplified. Rather, is not this the fast that I have chosen to lose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every enslaving yoke? 
So as we look at this word yoke based on the context of this scripture, is it something that we would desire to be under? It would not. A yoke here is undesirable, but here we have Jesus who's telling us to take his yoke. Take his yoke. So what is he really saying? And is it easy to do this? So when we picture the oxen being yoked together, it's oftentimes that farmers would put like a more experienced ox with one that is less experienced, one that's pulled a plow before. So I remember, so in one of the illustrations that I'm going to give, when my kids, do you all remember your first day of school? Like, could you go way back and remember, like, what the first day of school was like? Was that an overwhelming feeling for you, or am I the only one in the room? I was terrified. And when my kids started school, I was terrified for them. Like, I was that parent, or that parent that stayed a week in the kindergarten class with my kids. I was, because I wanted that teacher to know that I was present and that I've got my eyes on them. And I wanted my kids to know that I would never leave them. And was it reassuring for my kids? Like they wanted me there and I wanted to be there. And the schools want parents to take this first step to get the child comfortable in in getting off to school. So it's just a normal feeling of being overwhelmed. But I did that because I remembered what it was like for me. My first, so (laughs) the place that I grew up, I mean, it was a village and we had a village school and I watched how my nanny walked me to school And the same way she walked me, I jumped the fence and ran back home. Because I was terrified to leave Papa. And I I just was. I just didn't want to be there with strangers. So this is like a yoke. It's putting something on a more experienced person. And Jesus, is he more experienced than we are? He's like taking those first steps with us, beloved. He is walking into the classroom. Yes, it is something to shout about when I think that he is more experienced than I am and he has traveled there before I ever would. So we want to to now look at this word easy. So you get the idea of a yoke, okay? Jesus is saying that when when you're yoked with me, I'm gonna carry this weight because I have wisdom, I have strength, I have experience, I have said to you, see, the only thing that will help you to understand who you are and what is available to you is the Holy Spirit by way of the word of God. So we can come to church and I can give you the best message that I have spent time preparing. Pastor can give you messages that he, that, you know, he's been prayed over. Listen, I don't have the discipline of that man. <laughs> this week I walked into my office and it's so much easier for me to just talk than write a sermon. I can just talk. I, I like to just have a conversation. And I just, tears ran down my eyes. I said, Lord, I am not called to this. I'm not. I'm not called to be a senior pastor. What he does, I'm a helper. And, and I love to help. But it takes a great discipline. So we must know what the word calls us to. So I would not know that I was a helper and I wouldn't know the call on my life if I didn't have the Holy Spirit in operation in me. I wouldn't have a hold of the promises of God where I tell you that every prayer that I've ever prayed has always been answered. I've never had a prayer that hasn't been answered. It might not been in the time that I wanted it to have been answered. But every prayer I submit humbly to you that God has answered for me. Because I trust him. It's in the word. But is it easy 
while we're going through. And that's what we want to look at now. So the word easy in Matthew 30, it's not the best way that I would use this word. So if I had to write it, it'd be a little bit different. Um, Strong says it's something that's fit for use. It's something that's useful, virtuous, good. In the way of something being manageable, it's mild, it's pleasant, as opposed to harshness, you know, hard, bitter, um, of things, things that are, if you think about something that's easy, it is more pleasant of people. So a person can be very pleasant or they can be very harsh. So when we think about this word easy, I want you to think about it in ways of a person and their personality, okay? Um, Matthew, in the Amplified, I read it earlier, from my yoke is wholesome, useful, good, not harsh, hard, sharp, or pressing, but comfortable, gracious, and pleasant. And my burden is light, and it's easy to be born. So Jesus, right here in the Word, what he's saying is that when you're yoked with me, I am not bothered by your life situation. I'm not bothered by you. I am gracious. I am pleasant. I'm not stressed. And I'm not wearied, okay? I am peaceful. Doing life with others that are crazy, when crazy happens, you're going to be crazy. (laughs) But doing life with people who are not crazy and are just tempered, even tempered, when situations and trials come, that you can go to someone and say, hey, Miss Cecilia, I need you to pray for me, you know? Hey, Juanita, just keep me lifted up. Because we are not going to be those that flip out when crazy happens. But you will flip out when you don't have the source on the inside of you or when you don't have the revelation of what that source provides you. Okay? So God does not desire any of us that when, you know, that things just happen in life that we lose it. When troubles come into, you know, our relationships, that we freak out. <laughs> we, we, he doesn't desire that for us because we have the solutions of everlasting life. You know, Moses, we were having a conversation this morning and I was reminded of it in talking to Cameron. Moses, you know, they covered him. Paul said they put a bag over his head because the glory on him was fading. But the glory in us, it is never fading. It is Christ in us. So the glory is in me, whether you could see it or not. And it's in you, whether you realize it or not. Okay, but the sooner we realize it, the more victorious we live. All right? So his yoke, Jesus' yoke, to us, it's meant to be a help of how to respond in crisis, in relationships, in things that troubles us. So let's, um, to learn of him, he says, learn meekness. So Jesus is meek. The Cambridge English Dictionary, and again, some of these definitions, I'm troubled by it, but I'll tell you how they put it out there. So when we hear these words, sometimes we think like that's not a good thing to desire. Okay, but Cambridge English Dictionary um, defines meek as being quiet, gentle, and not willing to argue or express your opinions in a forceful way. I love that definition. Merriam-Webster, here's what I don't like. It says mild, of someone who can endure injuries with patience and without resentment. I like that part. Um, Without resentment, someone who is submissive, someone who is deficient in spirit and courage. I don't like that part. Meekness doesn't mean that we are deficient and lacking courage, okay? Um, Someone uh, is moderate or someone who is not violent or strong. See, I can be meek, but I'll tell you that you are very strong when you are like Christ. 
Okay, so let's look at what the Bible says. So this is called like for scholars in the word, it's called like the hymnal or the hymnology of the scripture. And this is like the Christ hymn. So it's some of my favorite passages, young people, when they come to me and they're wanting to know how to get into the word, I always tell them to go memorize the book of Colossians because once you see it, you can't unsee it. All right, so Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20 in the Amplified Classic, it says, Now, talking of Jesus, he is the exact likeness of the unseen God, the visible representation of the invisible. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, for it was in Jesus that all things were created, in heaven and on earth, things seen and things unseen, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All things were created and they exist through Jesus by his service. Here's that word service again, like submission and through Jesus's intervention and in and for Jesus. And he himself existed before all things and in him, all things consist, cohere and are held together. He binds all things together. The scripture teaches. He also is the head of his body. The church, seeing that he is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that he alone in everything and in every respect might occupy the chief place, stand first and be preeminent. For it pleased our heavenly father that all the divine fullness, the sum of the divine perfection of powers and attributes should dwell in Jesus permanently. And God purposed that through by this service, his submission, his intervention, right? That Jesus, the son, all things should be completely reconciled. You and I, all things, this world creation should be reconciled back to father himself, whether on earth or in heaven or through him, the father made peace by means of the blood of Jesus's cross. Okay. That is a beautiful scripture, but does that sound deficient and lacking of courage? All things were made by him for him and through him. The Bible says nothing that was made wasn't made. Okay, we became a thought and we became, but through Jesus, according to this, Jesus is all powerful. There's no lack of strength or deficiency present in him. But for you to understand that, you must believe that this Bible is infallible. It never changes. It is always 100% truth. Okay, it is. You've got to believe that for this to work in your life. So meekness. Uh, attribute of me is not an attribute of it. It's not reactive. Okay. So Luke 23, a few scriptures here. Now the people stood by and calmly and leisurely and they're watching as Jesus was being crucified, but the rulers scoffed and they sneered and they were mocking him, turning up their noses at Jesus saying, he rescued others from death. Let him come down and rescue himself. If he is the Christ, the Messiah of God, the chosen one, Right. These soldiers who ridiculed Jesus, they made sport of him. They were mocking him. Have you ever been mocked? You know, they are coming and offering him vinegar. And he was laughed at and he was tortured. Verse 37 says, and if you are the king of the Jews, save rescue yourself from death. Was he the king of the Jews? Yes. So what, what are they saying when they say, if you are, they're calling him a liar. Well, you're not prove it. 
Okay, prove it. Again, we see in verses 21, and he indeed suffers. So these are the two thieves on the cross, and one of them looks to the other, and he said, he, we indeed, we are suffering justly, okay? Receiving what is due to our actions. We're getting the rewards of our sin. But this man, he has done nothing out of the way, nothing strange or eccentric or perverse or unreasonable. He was innocent. He did no wrong. He was powerful, right? He was tortured. He was laughed at. He was mocked. He was called a liar. He did no wrong. And we have all been, you and I have all been in situations that are very similar where someone has misunderstood you. They have prematurely judged you. They have had false opinions of you. They've lied about you. They've said you said this when you didn't say that, you know, and what is, what is our response? But Jesus teaches us because he says, my yoke, it's easy, it's wholesome, it's pleasant, it's manageable, it's useful. So what do we do when we are like Jesus? How is this easy? Knowing that Jesus, the word teaches us that Jesus could have called 12 legions of angels. That's over 80,000 angels when you look it up, right? He could have done that, but he said, I'm not going to do that. He didn't react in the moment because every, you know, sometimes if you're, if you're a boss or you're the owner of a company or you just, you know, you're just the person in charge and something's happening and you walk in and somebody's coming at all of a sudden, you're going to be so encouraged to take your position and you're going to be so quick to let them know who you are and that you sign the line. He knew who he was, but he didn't do that. He said nothing. How is it easy, Jesus, to say nothing in the face of adversity? How is it? Okay, he did not fight. He just, he refused to. Remember that one of his disciples, they cut off the ear of the soldiers who came to get him. And he said, put that up. He said, this is my hour. That the father may be glorified in the son and that the son would be glorified. Okay, so we learn humility from this. So meekness, remember I said, I'm not good with what the definition of this, of the dictionary said. I like to see Jesus as strength under control. So if I can think like, you know, you hear meekness is not weakness. It's not. It's strength under control. I have the ability to crush you, but I will not because I have self-control. Make sense? Okay, so learn humility. So we learn meekness. Now we learn humility. Miriam Webster's dictionary defines humility as not proud or haughty, not arrogant or assertive. It's very reflecting of itself, um, reflecting, expressing, or offered in a spirit or of deference. Like I defer to Sue. What's your opinion on this matter? I don't have to have my way or submission that I rank myself low in hierarchy or scale. You know, if you're a boss and you have to go around telling everyone that you're the boss, you're not the boss. You're not the boss. If you have to constantly let someone know what your position is in life and your position of authority, you're a lousy boss. Okay, I love teaching leadership. I do. That's one of the gifts that God has given to me. But you don't use your authority to make people feel lower than you. Okay, so um, we, it says humility It's a person who is insignificant or unpretentious. Okay, so we're looking for genuineness here. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8 in the message paraphrase, it says, Think of yourself, 
the way that Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. So not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. He became human, having become human. Um, he stayed human, and it was an incredibly humbling process for Jesus. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death possible, right? It's the worst kind. Crucifixion was the most shameful way that someone would die in that period of time. Okay, so Jesus, did he have a right to defend himself? We do have right. We have a right to defend ourselves, but do we really? We have been crucified in Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but who? Christ that lives in me. Do I have a right to feel the emotions that I feel sometimes? Sure. But do I have a right to plow people down when they hurt me? If I'm dead in him, dead is dead, right? Our children's pastor said dead is D-E-D, D-E-D. We're just dead. We feel nothing. So how do we learn that Jesus's way is easy? We got to practice it, right? So in Hebrews, so humility I've got here, humility considers the end result by placing others first. Philippians, if I, listen, if you leave here today, go read the whole book of Philippians. It's four chapters. It'll take you less than 15 minutes to read it. But really read it because in that, that whole letter is written, Paul wrote it for us to take reflection of our attitude. Philippians is a great letter that the apostle Paul wrote for Christians to consider their attitudes before the Lord. If you read it every day, it's life-changing because then you'll start thinking before we speak. But Hebrews 12, verse 2 says, Looking away from all that will distract to Jesus, who is the leader and the source of our faith, giving the first incentive for our belief. And it also, Jesus is also the finisher, bringing to maturity and perfection. He, here's the part that I want you to listen to. He, for the joy of obtaining the prize that was set before him, endured the humiliation of that cross, despising and ignoring its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus saw the big picture. He considered you and I reconciling us to Father and all things to be reconciled to Father before he ever thought of himself. He did have a moment in the garden where he was thinking about himself and he started sweating blood. And he said, Father, I wish that this cup would pass from me. He said, but Father, it's not what I will. It's what you will, because he considered you and I. Thousands of years ago, we were on his mind. Thousands of years, and in one moment in time, Jesus took for the billions of people that are alive today and will be alive tomorrow, right? Jesus took all of our sins at one moment. That crushing was, I can't imagine. That is a thought that it overwhelms my little heart. One moment. He endured every sinful thing that billions of people who were not even born yet were to go through. And Jesus said, I'll give my life, not my will, Father, but your will for me. Okay, so we must consider the end result of all situations and circumstances and respond in a way that Jesus would, right? He placed the Father's desires above his own. Um, 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, indeed, all 
who desire to live godly will be persecuted. It's a promise for you and I. Okay, and it might not be that you're being persecuted for righteousness, but we will have troubles. The Bible says if you get married, you're going to have troubles. If you want to live for Jesus, you will have troubles. But be of good cheer because I have overcome you too and me. We will overcome, right? So we want to live in a way that we are overcomers. Okay, so um, have you been hurt by someone and felt that they owed you an apology? So I was having a conversation, and uh, listen, lots, last year, this building, we're so ready. Pastor just needed a break. See? And I'm going to have a break, too. But that building, like, listen, God and I had a conversation, and I said, Lord, when I'm 50, then I want to see sparkles in my hair. So, so far, we were doing good. But then last year, and right when I, you know, this year, well, I'm, I'm 48. It's okay. I'll tell you how old I am. Um, I was like, what is this? And I was like, oh, my gosh. I said, Lord, we had an agreement. I said, when I'm in my 50s, I'm okay with the sparkles. What is, what is this? You know, and that, that thing right there, that building, it's a blessing because I know how many lives are going to be changed. I see it. Listen, the first vision God gave me in this church, it was an open vision. We were back. I was standing back there as I do in worship because when I stand there, I'm praying for everybody. I'm praying that distractions will come up from the atmosphere. I pray that people will wake up, that you'll worship God. And sometimes people come over there and they high five me and they slap my hand down. And I'm like, you know, I am worshiping the Lord. Don't, don't do that, okay? Just I'm worshiping the Lord and I'm praying for you. But as I was worshiping, I had an open vision open vision. And I saw children running through here, like running through here. And I saw that we were going to be an oasis that when some churches couldn't keep their doors open, victory would be a lighthouse because the man that God has placed to be our senior pastor, he is a man of the word. And there's no compromise with Mitch Horton. And we so appreciate that in our pastor. Like if the Lord tells him to do this, no matter what it looks like, he will be a fool for Jesus. And, and we trust the Lord in the vision for this house. But that little thing right there caused some sparkles to come on, on the sides here. Like I got wings. And I was like, Lord. And I hear, I'm sitting in my office and I hear, don't be weary. So in the last month, I had two audible words that I heard outside. Don't be weary in well-doing, Mira. And I started crying. I said, Lord, I feel weird. I feel like I wanted to run out of here. But you see, I, I started this by telling you, sometimes we're looking for apologies because we've been, we, Sometimes you're just treated so badly. And some people just, they really do need to apologize, but do they really owe us an apology? So here's what the Lord showed me. Mira, when you were saved, did you have to apologize to me before I saved you? Did we? Who in here said, Jesus, I'm sorry, and then you got saved? None of us. So why do we have to have an apology from people who have hurt us before we give them the mercy of God. See, his yoke is easy. It is easy. And it's not easy in the flesh because my flesh would rather tell you where to go. It would. See, that's why I'm not the senior pastor. (laughs) And he knows it. You know, but there's something that tempers you. Because that's what, that's what the word does, is that when you're ready to speak what you want to speak, all of a sudden the word of God says, whoa, 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 whoa. 
See, two weeks ago, the other word that I heard, those who show mercy, Mira, will receive mercy. I was like, Lord, do I not show mercy? What does that look like for you? What is mercy? Are you walking with the unlovely? Are you walking with someone who just rubs you? Are you gracious to them, giving them, if they ask you for a coat, are you giving them two? Because if we're not doing that, we are not merciful. If you're just merciful to people that you like, you're not merciful. It's the ones that we don't like. That's where God starts dealing with us, right? So let nothing be done. Philippians 2, guys, sorry. This came to me this morning as I was praying about this. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4. New King James Version says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each of us esteem others better than ourselves. Let each of you, and I'll put myself, let, let each of us look out not only for our own interest, but for the interest of others. How are we doing with that? If we go read the whole book of Philippians, less than 15 minutes a day, if you read that whole four small chapters, it will help us with our attitudes towards saved and unsaved alike. Okay, so James 1.20 in the Passion Translation, it says, for human anger is never a legitimate tool to promote God's righteousness. So when I want to get angry, like over having some silvers in my hair, Tony, because, you know, some things are not going right. I'm like, Mira, the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. Because many of the people that we're contracting with, they might not know the Lord. So I can't just go off on them. I got to find a nice way to talk about it, right? We've got to. So we make a fool of ourselves when we choose to react to things, okay? Having to apologize for making a fool of ourselves, it's much more difficult than not saying anything and walking away, okay? Because when you have behaved in a way that is unbefitting to those who call themselves Christians, do you feel good about yourself? It's really hard to give that apology. Jesus's yoke is easy because he's just saying, if you don't have a response, if you don't retaliate, Mira, if your answer is kind and if it's soft, right? A soft answer, scripture teaches, turns away wrath, okay? I would have an easier time in the long run because, you know, at the end of the day, when I lay down at night, I have to say, God, did I tell you today how much I love you? See, worship, I started weeping there because we were singing and, you know, that, that last song that Josh did, I thought, Jesus, did I tell you this morning how much I love you? I don't want to displease you. So if it causes me to hurt someone with my words, God, I would just, let me tell you, I'd rather just not live for that day. Because that is not how he wants us to be. Okay, I'm telling you, there's an easy way, but it will cost us something. Easy will always cost. <laughs> nothing nothing is, is free, and nothing really comes easy. Guys, it's a fight. Okay, and I'm in that fight too. Um, and, and then you have to deal after you, you know, after you apologize with people, you hear the noises in your head, or they think you're a sucker, they think you're weak. Or, you just got to defeat that. So if you've done wrong, don't move forward. Say you're sorry. Take the higher road. Say that you're sorry. And those voices will eventually stop. It's okay because you're wanting to be like Jesus, right? So humility will always help you and I to look at the bigger picture. It says that I give up my right to self-protect. You know, the most time, most of the times when we're angry and we um, become inflamed at others and we want to defend ourselves is because we want to protect ourselves. We want to protect our image, our authority. We just, we want to be people that just self-preserve. Was Jesus self-preserving his life? 
Was he protecting himself? He says, learn of me, for I am meek and I am humble. Okay, so we want to learn this. Um, And this is really the way of what? What's the one word that covers all of this? It's love. Jesus, God is love. Everything lovely comes by him and through him. And he gives that to us. First Corinthians 13, four through eight, I'll read it um, in the Passion Translation. All right, so just, just listen. This is what the scripture tells us. Love endures long and is patient and is kind. Love never is envious, and nor does it boil over with jealousy. It is not boastful or vainglorious. It does not display itself haughtily, right? It's not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude. Oh my gosh, how many rude believers are we singing? We don't want to be rude. Love is not unmannerly. It's not rude, Okay, so I lost my place right there. It does not insist on its own rights or its own ways. When was the last time we insisted on having it our own way and what did it cost? Is it not okay to just defer to someone and say, you know what, you win? I can tell you all stories after stories, you win. All right, if I have time, I'll tell you about our dogs. Um, (laughs) It takes no account. So it doesn't seek its own. It's not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It doesn't wait for an apology. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when truth, when things that are right, when that prevails. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. It's ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails, never fades out, and never becomes obsolete or comes to an end. It just keeps on giving, okay? So when somebody's coming at you with their words or their actions and they're hurting you and it's over and over and over again, sometimes you might have to change addresses. Sometimes the Lord may tell you to stay. You gotta consider the big picture and you've got to think what is your response, okay? Um, <laughs> my brother-in-law's in here, but <laughs> my family's in here. So listen, a while back, this is last year, a couple of years ago, Anyhow, listen, I love animals, okay? But I don't want them all up in my house and on my table and jumping on my food, eating out of my bowls. I just, but I got a couple dogs. So I come home from church, right? I go home from, from church and I hear, woo, woo, woo. I can't do sounds like that, like hound dogs. Who can do a hound dog? Like a hunting dog. Like, you know, so I hear, like, so I walk across. I got to tell y'all about myself. So I, I walk in the back and you know, Shane's back there in this fence, and I'm, like, looking, and I see, like, 10 heads, y'all. Like, 10. And I said, what the H-E double hockey stick? And I just walked out. <laughs> I just walked out of the kids, and then I caught myself. I was like, oh, let no unwholesome words come out of your mouth. Because I'm just standing there, and I'm like, what the? And I just had to just walk away. So, listen, I was crying. I was down. I was out. My attitude was stinking. I was, like, glaring at my husband. I was just very unchristlike. And then, in less than a week, someone who loves me a lot comes up to me and said, what's the worst that can happen? And they painted me a picture. You see, this is why we need fellowship with others. Because the body strengthens you. So, I painted a picture in my mind. You see, Jesus' yoke, it's helpful. He will use you, Debbie, to make like good in my life. 
if I allow it to be good. So I started thinking, well, what's the worst that can happen? Them things are going to howl all day and it's going to disturb him from his sleep. What's the worst that can happen? Neighbors are going to gripe. What's the worst that can happen? Animal control. What's the worst? And all of a sudden I started smiling. I was like, what's the worst that can happen? In less than two weeks, what's the worst that can happen? He was sound asleep, y'all. And he got so aggravated at them dogs, he put all 10 of them in the back of his pickup and they all fake up to the hunting club. Come on, what's the worst that could happen? Because I changed my attitude. See, that I let those dogs like bring something out that God wanted me to see. I was fretful. I was picking up something that wasn't becoming of a believer right? It, what, that's not flattering for a believer to just get all moved and just see every time he looks at me, I'm frowning. That was terrible. I was, I was just a bad wife, you know, but we laugh now. He was like, I can't take these dogs anymore. I was like, what's the worst that could happen, Lord? And I just, you know, just loved on him and, and just, you know, and it's all right now. Okay. So that was the funny. So moving forward. Okay. I'm going to just need a few minutes up here, but moving forward, I want to give you some things to practice this week. Practice responding like Jesus. Ask yourself in every trying situation, am I loving? Am I joyful? Am I peaceful? Am I being patient in this situation? Am I being kind? Good towards others. Am I faithful to where God has placed me or always griping? Am I gentle and am I living with self-control in my life? Galatians 5, 23 or 22 through 23 in the NLT, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay? There is no law against this because this is the way of love. The Ten Commandments, the first Jesus said, he's like, this is the two that I give to you. It's not doing away with the ten. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. And strength and love your neighbor as yourself. In this, all of the prophets in the law is summed up. And what did he mean by that? The first that he says, love the Lord your God, that's the first four commandments. The first four commandments of the 10 is all about God and how we honor God. The last six commandments is all about how we love and do relationship with each other. Jesus says that there is no law against love. Nothing that you could be punished for if you love someone. Okay. And um, two, so I got two. So practice responding like Jesus. Practice thinking of the end result of all of your actions. To every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Think past the instant gratification of telling someone off. Weigh your choices. Weigh them out. If it takes you a while to make a list, I I literally, I do this and I teach people this. You come in to talk with me about challenging situations or having to make a situation. I'm like, list out all of your pros and all of your cons. And I write down, I do, I do this practice. I write down, what can I lose? What can I gain? And if the gain far supersedes, I might move forward in having a deep conversation. But if that losses is way down here, I'm not engaging. I will not, you know, and it does it work all the time. No, because I'm human, but I have a desire to do better than I did yesterday. Okay. Um, so we want to recognize God. Jesus says to consider others, think of others. He used Paul to say this, consider others better than yourselves. Okay. Forgive while it is day. 
We don't have a lot of time because the night comes. So when we're in a place of hurt, I'm getting ready to close. When we're in a place of hurt or crushing, in the hard places in life and just tired and weary, Jesus says, don't be weary in doing well, Mira. You all, beloved, don't get tired of doing what is good. In due season, we'll see Messiah, and we will not be ashamed when we see him that we have responded to others in a way that is unflattering for a son and a daughter of God, okay, in a way that doesn't give Jesus glory. So Jesus at the cross, what did he say? This is his way. What did he say on the cross right before he took his final breath? Father, forgive them for they know not what to do. Learn of Jesus because his ways are easy. His burden is light. His burden was that cross. What is the cross that you're asking to carry? And what relationship or situations is God saying, you know what? Just bear with this for a little season. Be faithful to where I've called you to be. Don't grumble and complain. I know that they're taking advantage of you, but submit to me because you won't lose. You won't lose. So in every situation, whether it's in marriage, whether it's with your children, whatever it might be, it could be a job. It could be here at church. You know, talk to someone who you know God has placed in your life to keep you sharp, not someone who likes to stoke your flesh and get you all stirred up. See, the person who gave me that advice, what's the worst? He wasn't encouraging me to be bad. He was encouraging me, consider the big picture. God's going to take care of this. Just submit to God.